Good morning. You guys may take a seat. My name is Kylie Jo Flenner, and I have the privilege of serving as the director of children's ministry here. Um, so I'm also excited to be in big church today, as Pat said. And the kids thought maybe they'd get away without hearing my voice today, and they were wrong. Um, so I get the privilege of reading the scripture this morning. Um, our scripture is in Luke 2, 41 through 52, and you can follow along with me. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. Amen. In uh, Luke chapter 2, as Kylie Joe read, and if you don't mind, let's ask God for his help as we take a little time in his word this morning. So join me as we pray. God, we thank you for your kindness to us and how you have made known to us the hope we can have in Jesus. We pray this morning as we look at your word that you would remind us how good you are and how you can give us hope through tr trusting Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. One quick thing to make note of that I've been asked to make note of, and I'm happy to, there's some guys who get together on Monday mornings and they pray, and they have put out two fish bowls here on the platform. There's one to my left and one to my right. They do not contain fish. So I don't know why we call them fish bowls now that I think about it. They have cards in them that are blank, and after the service, you're welcome to come up and write down prayer requests if you'd like these guys on Monday mornings to pray for you. The cards themselves have places where you can write a name of somebody that doesn't know the Lord. And you can say, please pray for so-and-so. They don't know the Lord, and we want them to know Jesus, and these guys will begin praying in that regard. But you're welcome to also include other prayer requests on these cards or in the prayer card that's in the seat. You can grab one of those, fill it out, and drop it in the... Well, it's a prayer bowl. That's what it is. It's a prayer bowl. It's a bowl of prayers. It's almost like Revelation. Okay. Right? The incense going up. Have you read this book? It's at the end of your Bible. If you haven't read it, it's fantastic. Not safe for kids. It's got a dragon in it. Anyway. Let me show you a picture. It'll be up on the screen in just a minute. There you go. Are you familiar with these pictures? Where's Waldo? So this is a Where's Waldo picture. If you're not sure how you uh, work one of these, what you do is you look at the picture. And there's two things you do while looking at a Where's Waldo book. And we were corrected. I can't remember if it was Seth or somebody. You don't say that you read a Where's Waldo book. There's no words. You look at a Where's Waldo book, and so you look at the picture, and there's two ways it's fun. Number one, you're looking for 
Waldo. And you're trying to find him. Of course, it's hard to find Waldo. And that's part of the fun is looking for Waldo. But also, and I think just as fun, is looking at all the little scenes that are depicted. There's usually some pretty funny things going on. This is a beach scene, and there's lots of different scenes. And you guys are going to go home and Google Where's Waldo and spend your afternoon looking at Where's Waldo. And the whole idea of Where's Waldo is you look uh, for Waldo. Okay, so this is for the kids, kindergarten through fifth grade in the kids zone. I got a game for you. You ready? Find Waldo. So if you found, if you find Waldo, uh, let me know. But you're not a kindergartner, Ben. <laughs> you got excited. You found a Waldo. So if you find Waldo, if you're a kindergarten through fifth grade, raise your hand and let me know, and uh, and then. Uh, excitement will will ensue. Where's Waldo? Okay, now, while you're doing that, let me begin uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Here's what's going on. They're not looking for Waldo. They're looking for Jesus. That's the question that Mary and Joseph are, are asking. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? They can't find him. And the reason they can't find Jesus, I'm going to tell you why in advance. They're saying, where's Jesus? And they can't find Jesus because Jesus is unpredictable. Jesus is unpredictable. Hey, Brian, they will never listen to me if the picture stays up. So go ahead and put the picture down. Yeah, there we go. Got a couple of things on my mind. You can find Waldo without the picture up there. Where's Jesus? The reason they're having trouble finding Jesus, and I'm going to show you this, is Jesus seems unpredictable. Jesus seems unpredictable. Let me explain what I'm going to say, and then I'm going to show you where we see it in this account of Jesus being misplaced by his parents. The reason Jesus seems unpredictable is because we want Jesus to fit into our idea of what he should be up to. We have an idea of what Jesus should be up to, and Mary and Joseph have an idea of what he should be up to, and he's not, and so he ends up seeming kind of unpredictable. But since Jesus is God, he isn't trying to figure out how to fit into our predictions of what he should be like. He wants us to figure out how we fit into what he is doing. So we're looking for Jesus, and he's difficult to find because he seems unpredictable because we want to narrowly define what he ought to be doing, and what Jesus is wanting us to do is broadly understand what he is doing, and instead of trying to get him to fit into our life, we're actually supposed to try and figure out how we fit into his. Look at what's going on. His parents went up every every year to Jerusalem for the feast at Passover. This is verse 41. So the Passover, that's a big time important festival for the people of Israel. It was that time when the people of Israel would remember where they got delivered out of slavery to Egypt. Do you remember what Passover was all about? The people of Israel were slaves to the people of Egypt, and there was all these plagues, and the people of Egypt wouldn't let them go. And finally, God says this, take a lamb, kill the lamb, eat the lamb, but also take the blood of that lamb and paint it on your doorposts. So when the angel of judgment comes, he will see the blood and he will say, I can pass over this home. No judgment's going to come here because the lamb paid with its blood. 
So the people of Israel, because they trusted God, did what they were told, and they slaughtered the lamb, and they painted their doorpost with blood, and the angel of judgment came that night, and the angel of judgment passed over those homes with the doorposts painted with the blood because the lamb had paid the price. Now, the people of Egypt didn't. Do you remember what happened? This is in Exodus. You can read it this afternoon after you finish Revelation. And the two are connected. The people of Egypt didn't. And the, since there was no blood on the doorposts indicating the lamb had paid the redemption price, the angel of judgment visited every home in Egypt. And the Bible tells us every home had somebody who had died because of the judgment of the Lord. So the people of Israel then were liberated, delivered out of slavery from Egypt, and were now free in the Lord because of the Passover lamb. So what they would do is every year they would celebrate the Passover, that they would remember the lamb that had been slaughtered for them. And we discover about Mary and Joseph and their family, they would make a point to travel to Jerusalem every single year for this most important festival to remember Passover, and they would take Jesus with them. Now, they lived in a city called Nazareth, really just a small village. And the, the village of Nazareth is about 85 miles north of Jerusalem. So they would need to walk 85 miles from Nazareth south to Jerusalem. You'll notice in your Bible, it says they would go up according to custom. Now, around here, when we say you're going up, you're going north, right? You go up to Portland and down to Los Angeles. That's how we do it, but that's not how they did it. You go up when you're going up in elevation. That makes sense. And when you're going down in elevation, you're going down. So Jerusalem is higher than Nazareth in elevation. So they're going up to Jerusalem, even though they're heading south. They're making it, that trip is 85 miles, and they go through some dicey territory. For the most part, it's relatively rural, very few people. If you were to travel by yourself, you would be exposed to robbers, bandits, maybe even wild animals, really, out in the middle of nowhere. So what they would do is everybody from the village who was going to Passover, which hopefully was most everybody, they would all get together, and they would travel together in this caravan. Family and friends in the village would go all together to provide one another safety from robbers and bandits and, and even wild animals. So that's what they would do. And really, it's about a four-day walk from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us they went down to the festival. We don't read anything about the festival. You notice they, in verse 42, it says they went up to, according to the custom, and when the feast was ended, they returned home. So what happened when they were returning home? The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but Mary and Joseph didn't, didn't know that. They thought he was with the group, and so they traveled about a day's journey around, away from Jerusalem. Now, some of you are being kind of judgy of Mary and Joseph as parents, because all parents are judgy. We need to find, this is one of the number one goals of all parents. Now you're going to start taking notes, right? Find other parents who are worse than you so you can feel good about how you're doing. I mean, that's, what you're, that's the whole goal. Okay, no, I'm doing okay. I mean, look at them. I'm doing pretty good. That's the whole goal. So you're judging Mary and Joseph. I mean, there's a number of reasons why this could be a little bit dicey for Mary and Joseph. Maybe you have had one of those occasions where you're not exactly sure where the little tyke is. I mean, certainly I've never had that happen today. You're at the store, and you're all of a sudden, you're, I'm not exactly sure. And, and you have that, you ever had that, like, panic? 
Yeah, some of you, it's making you stressed right now even thinking about it, and depending on how long that was. Now, think if the kid you lost was the Messiah. And Mary's like, at some point, Gabriel's going to show up. <laughs> and like, hey, Mary, just in for the one year. Gabriel, check on the Messiah. Got to fill out my forms and submit these every year. And so how's he doing in school? You don't know where he is? I mean, you lost the Messiah. I mean, that's ridiculous. I'm sorry. That's stupid. But we need to go a little bit easy on him because Jesus is 12 years old. In that culture, that's basically an adult. Not quite an adult. He still would have been considered uh, a, a young man. But he should have at this point in his life, and he is, he's expected to handle his business. He's expected to, to handle his own affairs. Of course, you and I might be very familiar with the, the modern-day uh, Jewish ceremony of bar mitzvah where a 13-year-old boy will have a ceremony sort of ushering in uh, his stepping across the threshold into manhood. And that's sort of a late developing thing in sort of the Middle Ages. They didn't have that sort of custom when Jesus was uh, around in the first century. However, it was expected at 12 years old for him to handle himself. It, it, Mary and Joseph would not have been babysitting a 12-year-old Jesus. He would have been expected at that age to handle his business and know where he's supposed to be. And now it's, he's not there. And they begin the search for him. And they look for him and can't find him in the caravan. They look among their friends and family members. My guess would be is they discovered he was missing when it was time to turn in for the night. He traveled a day away, and now it's time to turn in for the night. And they sort of expected he would know sort of in the caravan where they would set up their lodging for the night. And, and he wasn't showing up. And now they realize he's not here. So they make a search. And when they can't find him, they decide to return to Jerusalem. Look what it says in verse 45 if you still have your your Bible open. They didn't find him. They returned to Jerusalem, and after three days, they found him. Okay, so now we're going to do math. I know this is hard. What happened, it's after three days from leaving Jerusalem, they found him. So they left Jerusalem, and they traveled one day on their way home. That's one day. Keep track. Then the next day, they returned back to Jerusalem. How long does it take? One day, because they're one day away. So now we're Tuesdays down. The next day, they find him in the temple. Three days go by. So they weren't searching Jerusalem for three days. It was three days from when they left Jerusalem, they find him uh, in the temple. This is what they find him doing. When the parent, this is verse 48. His parents saw him, they were astonished. Because in verse 47, it says, All who heard him and were, uh, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So they found him in the temple, and he was conversing with the religious leaders, the teachers in the temple. And this was a normal thing to do. If you went to temple and you wanted to learn a little bit more about your scripture and about God, you would sit and listen to a religious leader or a priest or a teacher who would, who would just sit on the steps and he would teach. And it would be expected people would ask him questions. And people would expect those questions to reflect some sense of understanding. So uh, asking a question wasn't a uh, a way of demonstrating ignorance is a way of demonstrating insight. And when Jesus was asking these teachers questions, people were going, how does this 12-year-old have this kind of insight that he's asking these kinds of questions? Don't we wish we knew that conversation? Wouldn't it be great if they would have recorded it? Why didn't they? Because it's not important. Well, it seems important. Well, what you think is important isn't all the time. 
Because that's not the point of what's going on. They find him conversing with the religious leaders and asking questions and, and, and demonstrating a level of insight that's unexpected for somebody his age. And look at Mary and Joseph. When they saw him, they were astonished. Now, don't think what it, you might think it means. You're thinking, oh, they're going, oh, look, we've got, a, we've got an intellectual on our hands. They were not astonished because he was asking really insightful questions. Why were they astonished? You know, parents, you've been there. You lost the kid. You find the kid. What are you doing here? You're about to come unglued. It's kind of that mix of, I'm so glad I found you safe, and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it's that, that kind of tension, you know, that I don't, you know. And this is kind of their astonishment. Oh, this is really great. We found you in the temple and not somewhere else. We found you in the temple talking to... a. A, a scholar, a religious leader, a teacher, and, and look at how, and how Mary responds to him. Son, why have you treated us so? Your father and I have been searching for you. How? In great distress. We know exactly what that's like, don't we? In great distress. Mary and Joseph are astonished that Jesus wouldn't stay with them. Mary and Joseph are astonished that he would abandon them and, and sit in the temple and, and Mary and Joseph take this as a personal offense. Why would you treat us this way? Why is Mary so worried? Well, what if something had happened to Jesus? What if he had been harmed? What if he had been kidnapped? What if, what if he had gone hungry? What if all of these things? What if he had been murdered? This reveals something about Mary that she's still working on and will continue to work on, which is this. Mary has a lot of problems, doesn't she? Keeping God safe is not one of them. Keeping God safe is not one of her problems. Is Jesus in any danger here? No, he's God. Jesus isn't in any danger. When's Jesus going to die? Precisely when he means to, and not a second earlier. Mary has lots of concerns, lots of stress on her plate, lots of worries in her mind. Keeping God safe isn't one of her concerns. Just a quick aside on that point. I think we can learn a little bit of something here about how we're operating. And by we, I mean most of you. I mean, no, people who weren't here today. We are so worried if we don't keep God safe in the world around us, he's going to get ruined. His reputation is going to get ruined. Like somehow we have to keep old things okay for God. There's a lot of things that we need to be worried about as Christians in our culture today. Keeping God safe is not one of them. He's fine. He's, he's totally fine. The world is going to come off its hinges at some point. And guess what? God is still going to be just fine. We, we got a lot of things we might worry about in our own lives, in our own families, in our own communities. But trying to keep the world okay for God is not one of our problems because God is okay. He's got things completely under control. Why do, how does God stress us out? Does God ever stress you out? I, I know you feel like you're not allowed to say yes to that while you're in church. God stressed David out a lot. Have you read the Psalms? God, where are you? My prayers go up and, and no one hears. I, one of my favorites, God, I noticed the wicked, they're doing great. They've got lots of food, got lots of animals. They look pretty strong. What about me, bro? I mean, that's in the Hebrew. God, where are you? 
God stresses us out because he is unpredictable. And what I mean by this, where's Jesus? Why does God stress this out? He seems unpredictable because we want him to act the way we want him to act. That's what Mary and Joseph wanted Jesus to do. Jesus, we need you to act the way we expect you to act. And Jesus didn't. He didn't do anything wrong. He just didn't fit what they think ought to be. And the result was distress. Not because Jesus was doing something wrong, but because they wanted Jesus to fit into their notions of what he should be like instead of trying to figure out what they, how they should fit into what Jesus was up to. Jesus is, in fact, predictable if we understand what he is doing. The fix that we have for having less distress is to get off of the, uh, our high horse of trying to get God to fit into our lives and instead seek to f- figure out how we might fit in uh, to his. Where's Jesus? He seems unpredictable. All of a sudden, he's not there. And the parents look for him three days under distress, and they finally find him. Where's Jesus? Um, yeah, let me check in here. Anybody find Waldo yet? No, I'm serious. Anybody found Waldo yet? K through, kindergarten through fifth grade. Seth, you found him? That Seth knows. Okay, we'll keep going. If you find Waldo, let me know. Just raise your hand, say, found him, and, uh, and, and, and we'll go from there. But you haven't found him yet. Okay, fine. He seems unpredictable. May not be where you think he is. See there, it's kind of like a picture. It's kind of like an illustration of the point I'm making. Todd's laughing at me. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Where's Jesus? He's easy to find if you know where to look. Jesus is easy to find if you know where to look. Have you ever lost anything and then asked somebody about it? This is great. I lost my keys. Somebody says, try to remember the last place you saw them. If I knew the last place I saw them, they wouldn't be lost. I'd have them. Thank you for that. Are you just trying to be, yeah. And, and the other thing, after you find them, oh yeah, it's funny, it's, they're always the last place you look. Yeah, because I stop looking when I find them. That's kind of what I, <laughs> you keep looking, is that you find them and they're like, well, I'm going to keep looking because this is fun. So they're always like the third to last place for me. These are where, <laughs> this is what we do when we lose things. Jesus is un, seems unpredictable because we want him to fit our preconceived notions, but Jesus is easy to find if we know where to look, and Jesus lets us know he isn't that hard to find, and better yet, he tells us precisely what he is up to, and he does this with Mary and Joseph, and so let's take a look at what he says to them. This is verse 48. Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in, in great distress, And Jesus says this, why are you looking for me? Now, he wasn't saying you shouldn't have been looking for me. He's not saying you should have just left without me. What he is saying is you shouldn't have needed to look. You should have known where I am. Where is he? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? The reason they were looking in the wrong places is because in their mind, a son should be where? With his parents. 
And Jesus' response in so many words is, that's sort of right. The problem is you have misdefined my parents. And that's what he says. Notice, your father and I have been searching in great distress. Jesus, being God, was not mouthy like I would have been or maybe you would have been. His answer is, in so many words, my father was not searching for me in great distress, as a matter of fact. I was with him, so we're good. He was helping them to see things the way they actually are. You don't need to look for me because you know what I'm up to. I am with the Father, and I am about the Father's business. Just a quick aside on that. How do you think Joseph responded to that? If you think this wasn't hard for Joseph to hear, you're, you're missing it. Now, just because it was hard doesn't mean it was wrong, wasn't right. It was absolutely right. And Joseph, our assumption would be, is like in all other places in the Scripture, is he learned to understand what God was up to. But nonetheless, here is a young man that has been calling him. His dad is now saying, actually, your role of father is pretty limited in my life. And Joseph has to come to terms with his preconceptions of what Jesus should be in his life. And we don't hear anything else from Joseph. Mary needs to understand this as well. Later on, Mary and, and her kid, other kids are going to be outside a house that's too crowded for them to get into. And the people are going to tell Jesus, hey, your mom and your brothers and sisters are outside. And Jesus is going to say what? My mother, my brothers, they're people who listen and believe. I, they are among those. That would be hard. That would be difficult. Why are you looking for me? Where should be the Son of God be? The Son of God should be with His Father. Jesus is easy to find if you know where to look. With His Father, doing the Father's will. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 42. I think it'll be up on the screen. I'm actually going to begin in verse 39. Jesus came out and went, as was His custom, to the Mount of Olives. I love that there. Do you notice the similarity there with the passage we just read? His family would go to up to Passover, as was their custom. And here we have Jesus developing a custom as well. He came out and went, as was his custom in the Mount of Olives, and his, his disciples followed him. If you uh, are unsure here, this is the night before he was crucified. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you don't enter into temptation. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And he, be, he, being in agony, prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Where is Jesus? He is with the Father, doing the Father's will. And what's the Father's will? The culmination of a life of obedience culminating at the cross where Jesus, the actual Passover lamb, sheds his blood to pay for the sin of all who would receive it. Three days later, he rises from the dead. Unlike the Passover lamb in Egypt that did not rise from the dead, this Passover lamb, the Passover lamb, is crucified, sheds his blood that the angel of judgment would pass over all who have received him by faith. This Passover lamb then rises from the dead three days later, that all who have received him will live forever with him. So this is Jesus' plan, to be with the Father, 
doing the Father's will, giving us forgiveness for all we've ever done wrong. All who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Sins will be forgiven, all we've ever done, all we ever are doing, and all we ever will do, forgiven. More than that, eternal life with him forever. This is Jesus. Where do we want to find Jesus? You have to find him where he is. With the Father, doing the Father's will, saving people from their sins. This is difficult to understand. Look at uh, verse 50 of Luke 2. Mary and Joseph are described here after Jesus says, I must be in my father's house. And the Bible says this. They didn't understand the saying that he spoke to them. They didn't understand. What are you talking about? They, they didn't get it. I mean, we've read, you've probably read this passage a hundred times before, right? And you, how could they not understand this? Because this is how our preconceived notions work. We just can't, how does that fit? They, they, they couldn't understand it. And it took a long time for them to sort of get it. And maybe we're going to judge them. Maybe they should have gotten it. Look at Luke 1, verse 32, the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary about Jesus. Jesus will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, so we say, well, Mary, shouldn't she have understood? Shouldn't she have understood what God was up to? Well, this has been all of our experience to one degree or another. There's a difference between knowing about God and of God and living that experience in real life. There's a difference between, okay, I know what God is like, I've read him in his word, I've, I've heard some teaching, I understand what God is like, but now I've got I've to experience this in the, in the day in and day out of my, of my life. So you read the Bible, God loves me, and he answers prayer. That's real. Okay, that's, that's true. Yeah, I mean, isn't that true? Do I have to defend that more than that here? Okay, and so... So we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you love me, and you answer prayer, so I need this. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience. God doesn't give me this. Do you find that frustrating? You guys are so good. I'm like, no, absolutely not. Uh, not my will, but the Lord's be done. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Yes, yeah, see? <laughs> Howard's like, yeah, do other people do it different? Yeah, me. God doesn't give me this. And then I go into a, a, a stinky attitude tirade, right? Arr, God, don't you listen to me? Arr. It's a lot like the Psalms, but not as polite. Because I understand what God is like, and I understand what the Bible tells me, and then the working of it out in my real life, that's harder. Because now I'm trying to, I'm trying to well, how does this, how does God's reality, how does the truth of who God is fit into what is happening in the realities of my life. And this is what Mary and Joseph were struggling with as well. They understood who Jesus was. They understood what the plan was. But then they had to figure out, what does that mean for us raising the Messiah? What does that mean for the day in and day out of, of living with God most high in our home? How does that work? There's a lot of questions we might have, might have asked. What, what does it look like as a father I want to ask Joseph this. What does it look like for a father to lose his temper with God eating breakfast at the table? He said, well, he would never lose his temper with Jesus. Well, I don't know about that. But they had other kids. 
right? James, Jude, they had other kids, and these guys weren't perfect. These weren't the Messiah. So what, is it, what does it look to realize you're doing something wrong? You go, oh, my lands, the Messiah is here. I mean, I don't know. How do you do They would have to work that out. What is, how does Jesus fit? And what is he calling us into? And they didn't understand, and that's what we discover here in Luke chapter 2. Jesus is telling them, i got to be with my father. I'm about his business. And they didn't understand it. And that's the same with us. Knowing and understanding God is a process. Learning what God is like and then living in the reality of that day in and day out is a process that takes our whole life, and it's a process of growth uh, over time. All right, parents, I know you want me to touch on these verses, so we'll get to it. Luke chapter 2, verses 51. Sorry, kids, your mom and dad sent me emails, said I had to read this. He went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was submissive, or in many translations, obedient to them. Okay, we got it. Jesus was obedient. He was not disobedient. He never disobeyed his parents. Jesus said the entire law was fulfilled in him, and the law said children must obey their parents. So Jesus was always obedient to his uh, parents. As children, we are not always obedient to our parents, and I'm even talking to us as adults, and that's why we have to trust Jesus for his forgiveness, because we need his grace, because we aren't perfect the way he was. But Jesus went home with them, and he was submissive to him. Although he is God the Most High, as a child in the home, he obeyed his parents and became a man, a man who would die for our sins. Where's Jesus? He seems unpredictable because he's not trying to fit into our lives. He wants us to fit into his. But he's easy to find if you know where to look. Anybody find Waldo yet? You found him? You, go get him. No, I'm serious. Did you find him? Okay, go get him. No, I'm serious. He's all yours. No, I'm serious. I, I, did, did you find him? Please, go get the Waldo. Okay, go get him. Go get him. Go get him. I didn't know if any... Oh, there he is. Okay, come over here. Come over here. Come over here. All right, tell everybody your name. Okay, do it in a lower manly voice. No, that's Adam. Everybody give Adam a round of applause. Nice job. Waldo's all yours. Where's Jesus? Seems unpredictable. He wasn't in the picture. He's easy to find if you know where to look. Now that you know where he was, we're all going, well, he was right there. If you're still looking for him in the picture, I purposefully took him out. Because I didn't need anybody telling me they found him. So he's not in that picture. That's rude. That's how I, that's how I do it. Okay, three things. How do, you respond, how do you respond when God is unpredictable? Just be honest with you. You don't need to tell me. How do you respond? God doesn't do what you expect. Say, God, no, I expected this. You didn't do it. How do you respond? Some ways that we typically respond. Anger. I prayed for this. You didn't do it. And I'm mad. Frustration. 
what's the good of what's the good of obeying you, God? What's the good of following you, God? If I'm not going to get out of this, what I think I should get out of this? Frustration, doubt. These are all things. These are all things we see in Scripture, in the Psalms. What I would suggest to you when you're experiencing that, not if you experience it, when you experience God did not meet my expectations and I'm angry and I'm frustrated and I'm full of doubt, pray with honesty to God. Don't pretend like he doesn't know all that stuff is going on. That's what we see in the Psalms. Lord, I am frustrated. I am angry. I thought you were going to show up this way and you didn't. I don't know what to do with that. Pray with honesty. But seek wisdom and continue to trust him. It's hard to believe this, and it's hard for me to believe it. And, and, and if you want to talk to some older believers, it's hard for them to believe it too. It's this. His way, if it's not our way, is the better way. It's hard to believe that. It's hard to understand it. But if he says no to, to my way, it's, it's because he has something better that I haven't just got my head around yet. And it's hard. But my suggestion is from the scripture, what we see, especially with David and the Psalms, pray with honesty when God disappoints. Say, God, here's what's going on. I don't know what to do with this. I need your help. Secondly, Jesus is easy to find for all who are seeking him where he is. And it's this. I mean, it's not complicated. He is offering forgiveness of sin and eternal life to any who will believe him. If you want Jesus to make you rich, if you want Jesus to make you healthy and wealthy, if you want Jesus to fix your car, if you want Jesus to make your spouse uh, nicer to you, if you want Jesus to make your kids obey, none of these things are bad things. You're not going to find Jesus. You're looking in the wrong place. He has come for forgiveness, to forgive you of all you have ever done, will do, and give you eternal life. If you seek him for other things, he will be impossible to find. Seek Jesus for forgiveness. And if you say, I don't need it, seek him to show you how bad you need it. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit will open our eyes to the reality of our sin. Finally this, especially when we look at the life of Mary and Joseph, we can have great joy in knowing that God has invited us into the work of forgiveness with him. He has invited us to serve one another with mercy and grace. He has invited us into proclaiming the good news of the gospel to the people around us. And we look at Mary and Joseph, and it is great encouragement to know that the two people who probably spent the most time with Jesus in this world didn't get it either. And so he said, well, I can't serve Jesus. I don't know what I'm doing. Look at Mary and Joseph. They didn't have a clue. And they spent all kinds of time with him. It's a great joy to know God uses broken people like us. Because he's merciful and he's kind, he says, I want you to be involved in my great project to bring forgiveness of sin to the people around us. Where's Jesus? He's unpredictable, but he's easy to find because he gives us his grace. Let's pray, and then we'll sing one more song before we head out. God, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for the joy you've given us in knowing Jesus. I'm praying, God, that right now in this moment, for many of us, we've had things go on in our lives, and we are not sure what exactly you're up to. And we're finding in our own hearts that same feeling that Mary and Joseph had. We're distressed. God, we're looking for you and we're not finding you. Father, I ask in this moment, by your grace, your Holy Spirit would do a work in our hearts that you would help us to see that it's not you that needs to change, it's us. Would you allow us in this moment to receive you for who you are and what you've done? You brought us forgiveness for our sins. And you've given us eternal life. 
God, would you allow us, even in those seasons of frustration and doubt, to still understand you are God and you are good. God, I pray, especially for those who are here this morning who don't know you, I am praying in this moment that they would find you where you are. Easy to find, offering forgiveness through trusting you. We thank you for the joy of knowing you and being a part of your kingdom and giving each one of us an opportunity to participate in your work to save mankind. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand up with me and we'll close with a song.